Hi, Tim Ash here. Uh, I'm an expert on evolutionary psychology and digital persuasion, uh, as well as a keynote speaker and best-selling author. Today, Dove and I go crazy and we cover everything from altruism to autism to philosophy to tribalism to the only hope that this planet has for survival. You're going to hear it all, so stay tuned. Welcome back to part four of our interview with Tim Ash as we discover how to unleash your primal brain. This has been an amazing conversation, looking at the brain, looking at the evolutionary development of the brain, who we are, what we are. Uh, we've looked at everything from autism to altruism. <laughs> we've gone everywhere that we possibly could. We're gonna come back into this fourth part uh, now and I want to remind you that this episode of Curiosity Bites is brought to you in part by the Dragon's Lair. Have you discovered your next evolution? Imagine being in a virtual classroom where I personally, I, Dov Baron, personally walk you through the live trainings where I reveal the techniques and strategies that I previously only offered to the top CEOs and C-suite executives, high-level entrepreneurs, athletes and entertainers. And then you get to be able to be in those trainings and then get exclusive access to the workbooks that go along with those. You get uh, access to the previous trainings. Uh, this is what many of our listeners have already discovered and they've come over to Patreon to join us. So if you go to, this is your opportunity. So take yourself over to patreon.com forward slash Dove Baron. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Dove Baron. And in two minutes, you can join us. In fact, you can get access to all those previous episodes on subjects like learnings on uh, ethical persuasion, becoming a meaning-driven leader, resilient leadership in the time of chaos, and so much more. And you'll also get exclusive access to the Curiosity Bytes videos that are not released anywhere else except in our Patreon channels. Just simply go to www.patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Dove Baron and secure your seat now. All right, let's jump down onto the fourth part of this delicious, delicious conversation. <laughs> with Tim Ash, who is the, uh, who is a best-selling author of several books, not least of all, his most recent, which is Unleashing the Primal Brain. And as I said, we've been talking about all kinds of very cool, cool stuff here, um, but we wanna get into the mastication round and we wanna talk about some of the <laughs> crazy subjects. Have you heard the mastication round before, Tim? Um, no, I don't think so. So I'm going into this completely okay, cold. Okay, good. Uh -oh. So you get to pick a number, and the number is between 1 and 24, and I read you the appropriate question from there. Are you ready? 17. 17. All right. I feel like I'm on a game show. Oh, this, this, this is an easier one. Something most people wouldn't know about you. Mm, um, I'm also an artist. Uh, I do painting and photography. The focus is on figurative work. Uh, so fine art, black and white nudes and um, paintings as well. Uh, my fine art site is timurash.com, which is my actual legal name, T-I-M-U-R-A-S-H.com, if you want to see some of my latest stuff. Oh, yeah, that's really good. I, we'd love to see more of that. that. That's fantastic. Have you always been an artist? 
Uh, yeah, I, since I was a little kid, I started drawing. Uh, in fact, my mom, when we lived in Ann Arbor, Michigan, when I was in seventh grade, got me into a life drawing class with live nude models at the University of Michigan because I was so advanced, they let me in. So who knows? So yeah, mate, it's a long time. Mate, you and I are such weird individuals and connections <laughs> because my art was, in, gallery. my art was in galleries by the time I was 11. Right on. I was an artist. And I, you know, I, I like I think I said to you that I have this, um, this exercise I give to people, I say, if you could do a business card that has on it what you, who you are, that it wouldn't normally be, what would it put on it? And mine would say artist and philosopher, because mm, I've been an artist for my entire life, as long as I can remember. It was my mom's bragging rights when I was a kid, and I've always been yeah. philosophical. Yeah, you know, to, to me, it's like just capturing and expressing beauty into the world in whatever form that takes is... Uh, is just uh, it comes out of me i just i don't have a choice i i don't always do it but when i come back to it it's that kind of internal necessity that's driving me there's a story i tell about um speaking at a uh, incubator here in vancouver um for school kids and uh i was asked to do it and i said i would i'd be happy to do it and i went in and i said you know the world is going to tell you who you should be and what you should be don't listen to them um, what's more is you probably have some skills and talents that you might think that that's what you want to be, but it doesn't mean that's who you're going to be either. For instance, I was an artist when I was a kid. I thought I was going to be an artist. Everybody thought I was going to be an artist and I barely even draw anymore. And, and this girl immediately shut up and said, don't you miss it? And I took a moment and said, no, I don't. I said to miss something would be to think about it and think I should be doing it, but I don't, I'm not doing it. I'm not making time for it. And she says, oh, okay. And then we carried on with the rest of the conversation went on. And at the end of the thing, I said to her, I want to thank you. And she said, why? Uh, you know, I was asking questions. I said, I want to thank you. She said, why? And I said, because you asked a great question. And she goes, what? And I said, about whether I missed being an artist. And she said, yeah. And you said, you don't. I said, I don't. And, and I said, but I, I, you, I've been thinking about it the entire time. Why don't I? And I said, the reason I don't is, do you know the story of Michelangelo and David? And she said, no. And I said, well, Michelangelo apparently was asked, uh, how did you create David from a, a block of marble? And, he, and Michelangelo said, I didn't. I chipped away everything else until David mm. was revealed. And I said, I'm Beautiful. still an artist. That's my job. That's what I do every day with people. I chip away everything that's not who they are, that soulful, what I call dragon fire level mm -hmm. to reveal that. So I'm still an artist, but I'm an artist now who chips away and gives people right. the tools to chip away at themselves rather than adding to. And it's interesting that when I started as a speaker and a personal development guy, I was adding to constantly trying to be smart and give people what I knew. And now it's kind of like, no, I, who cares what I know? Let's just pull away the shit and reveal your magnificence. Yeah, yeah. no, it's, it's a beautiful metaphor. And I, and I, I kind of feel the same way that you ultimately, if you have to be an artist of light, which arena you're putting that in doesn't really matter. The most creative thing I ever did was what we in California for tax purposes call it a remodel, but basically knocked down my one story house and built a completely different two story version of it. And so besides a lot of money, I actually counted, we had 90 individual people in various trades come through that house over a nine month period. 
and and I describe it as the process was like uh, uh, composing a symphony while performing it. You know, yeah. that had to all be done in real time. And it was like the most creative thing I've ever done was yeah. building a house. I think it's fascinating. Um, you know, I did a, a whole piece. Um, I did a training actually on it. And it's on, in our Patreon channel uh, around accessing creativity and how leadership is at its base a creative act. And if you're not a creative leader, you're a crappy leader. It's, it's a fascinating thing. All right. Yeah, let's you know get... that's funny because it makes me think of this. I think it was Peter Schutz, the CEO of Porsche, once talking about leadership, and he said, you know, the difference between management and leadership is like management is, you know, hacking away through the jungle and helping clear a path for the people that follow behind you, and leadership is climbing up the tallest palm tree and saying, hey, we're in the wrong freaking jungle. You know, so it's, it's, you know, you don't get those incremental things. That's management. Leadership is being able to connect things that most uh, can't be seen. And that, yeah, you're right. Creativity. The creative is process is the ability to connect things that don't seem to be connected. Yeah. Uh, and, and then, uh, and my part of my uh, assertion of it is that um, like memory, um, art is evocative so you don't remember anything unless you're emotionally evoked in to do so and art is emotionally evocative and so if you paint a big circle on a white screen on a white board um that is art if it evokes emotional response for someone and it might not for other people and so people have a subjective response to it and that's okay mm -hmm. and at the yeah. same time there's an there's an evocative response to your first taste of coffee in the morning, and that makes Starbucks artists. And, and it's like, you know, there's a million different mm -hmm. ways. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. I just love that about us. And again, this is why I'm such a big fan of emotion and understanding emotion, because the creative expression is that of, a, uh, of evocation and, and movement in things and anything else is yeah, stagnant. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's changed. You know, I, I smugly made a little coat of arms for myself in high school and I had this Greek saying panthere, which means all things are constantly in flux or roughly translated. Mm -hmm. And I thought, that was just, yeah, it sounded good philosophically, but now I realize like the closest you, the closer you stay to that change, the more you are in that generative creative state, uh, the more true your life runs. I, I also think that, you know, there's this whole thing around, uh, particularly um, more contemporarily, uh, this idea of joy. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of joy over happiness. Happiness is temporary. Happiness is a state of, I will tickle you, you will laugh. I will stop tickling you, you will stop laughing. That's the end of happiness. But joy is an internal state. And joy for me is only possible only possible in a creative state and a creative state is not necessarily the manifestation of a thing but the joining together of things that may be conceptual and this this joyous state of, of this is one of the reasons i love this show is, you know, <laughs> is that we are getting to connect around ideas and bring you know that it's not just expanding you and i but as the listener is expanded by that experience too, and maybe they go away and that has a resonance that impacts others and that we get to share. And that's why I call it curiosity bites because we get to share in this banquet of ideas where we get to all chomp down and masticate 
on these ideas that philosophically um, grow us and develop us and, and create this masterpiece inside of our being. So it, it's a, it's a I, I'm, like I said, first and foremost, an artist. Thank you. Um, Ready for your next pleasure. mastication question? Yes, uh, four. Four, all right. Number four, earliest memory. Ooh. Um, earliest memory is, is uh, playing with my friend Dimitri when I was about seven years old in an, in an apartment in Moscow on the 12th floor where, where I grew up before we left Russia. Um, I don't know, it just came up, but um, nothing profound. Um, no. Tell me, about, tell me about that room, that place. What do you see? It's really weird. Speaking of memories, um, I'll tie it into something else. I've been back there. So I grew up in that apartment. We moved there when I was one or two. I don't remember anything before it and left when I was eight. And then we came back as an adult. I came back with my father for the first time to Russia. And my aunt and my grandmother's family lived across the landing on the same floor of that apartment building. So we actually went back to my old apartment, knocked on the door and said, we used to live here 30 years ago. Now we live in the U.S. Can we come in and take a peek? And those people led us back into that apartment. And the thing that struck me, it was like a double dose of altered memory, mm -hmm. how tiny it was yes, compared to what I remembered. Because when I'm a seven, eight-year-old kid, everything, everything seems bigger. And then you come to the U.S. and really, like, have you ever been in hotels in Europe or something else? Like, our sense of how much personal space is required, all these McMansions we live in, you know, is, is ridiculously large. So compared to that and my whole adult experience of American life, coming into that small two-bedroom apartment in Moscow in an apartment building, I was like, wow, this seems like a little rabbit cage. Uh, it, uh, that, I mean, that's one of the things about the context of size, um, how that changes, um, you know, like, you know, I you used to play in this huge park and then you go there as a kid and you're like, oh, you go there as an adult, you're like, I got a yard bigger than this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's just crazy. I, I just, I, I'm fascinated by, it's one of the things that I'm very fascinated by is, is um you know you talked about memories and that for me is a very interesting thing because of how distorted it is we know um yeah, I, yeah. it's just it's people with the fbi and, and do interrogation also and we know that uh, our memory is a terrible terrible way oh. to examine the truth because what it's we not about the truth. This is like, that's, that's, you asked about myths earlier. That's yeah. one of the biggest misconceptions about the brain. The purpose of memory is not to be accurate. I'll say it again. The purpose of memory is not to be accurate. It's to help you survive. So if it has survival value, you'll remember it. But it doesn't have to be accurate. It never is, in fact. So um, I think that's a huge misunderstanding that people have about memory. Yeah, that, that is very interesting, isn't it? Uh, because we, we have so much invested in that. Mm -hmm. you know, I have Including our legal system, like eyewitness testimony. Exactly. Like, I have a so memory. Manip you know, they're, they're, they did these studies, like um, they had everybody watch the same um, uh, film of an auto collision. And then they had, they, 
they asked half the group is like, okay, how fast was that car going when it when it bumped into the other car, right? And then they asked the other half, how fast was that car going when it smashed into the other car? And the difference they got in just changing the word bump to smashed was massive. It was like 18 miles an hour versus 35 miles an hour. So you can yeah. easily manipulate people's memories. The context the of the word thing. smash versus bump. Yep. Yeah. Yes, and that's just one example. The same reality that they just witnessed, but you can just lead people on very easily. So you, uh, we'll do one more mastication, then we're gonna, then we'll come back. Okay. So okay. Pick another one. One. Uh, Twenty-one. Twenty-one. All right. What do you believe is the greatest mystery to be solved? Hmm. <laughs> For me personally, it's um, meaning of life. It's existential stuff. Why are we here? I mean, that's a question all human beings have been asking if they're curious, uh, to your point, uh, since, since the dawn of time. But... Um, you know, what's the purpose? I, I, I saw this sociologist that was talking about like one of the things that makes human beings unique is our ability to hold contradiction. That at the same time, we know that our lives are infinitesimally small and useless and don't matter. None of the stuff we're talking about matters in the cosmic scheme of things. And, and yet we need to live life with meaning and purpose and think that it does. And that contradiction, I think, is at the heart of human existence. And that's, that's the puzzle that, I, that we're all chewing on all the time. Uh, yeah, there's what purpose my, does my life have? Does one of my great teachers taught me many years ago, everything matters, nothing matters. Yeah. And, and I was given that as a mantra to walk around with for a couple of years. Yeah. Everything matters. Uh, and there's a... There's a and there's a, a different formulations of it. There's like a, a Sufi saying, I believe, that says, you know, live your life as if uh, you had eternity. Live your life as if this was your last day. That same balance of the infinite and the immediate and, you know, how to make it matter is that's, that's, that's the tricky part right there for me. It is. So you came into uh, all of this kind of in a misdirected way because um, <laughs> well because you know you've you you know your background is on these landing pages and 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 the effectiveness of those and even persuasion and and you know understanding not just the brain but the mind and uh, you know we talked about you know some of that is used very unethically um, and we see that with quote black hat um, technologies and things that people do. We saw that with uh, uh, Cambridge Analytica in the last, um, you know, that was the same thing. We're seeing a lot of it now with with bots that are working inside of these things. Talk or even Facebook it. algorithms, exactly. Google search algorithm. I mean, that's yeah. all the same stuff. It's all the same stuff. So talk to us about, give us a little bit of background on that from your point of view and, you know, what you learned and and because I actually mm -hmm. like to, to, to sort of finish this, the fourth section of the show with giving people a little bit more of a, uh, a sense of 
having some tools to, I, I want them to read the book because the book is going to be of course. But I, I want to give people a sense of having some, some sense of uh, power and control and authorship of their own interactions with these things that are manipulating us every single day. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's interesting because um, I, I, this is a return for me. I didn't come into yeah. it sideways. I started in my school uh, at UC San Diego. I double majored actually in computer engineering and cognitive science, which was in the psychology department. It right. became its own department eventually. So I've always had this interest in cognition. And my graduate work, I stayed at UC San Diego as well, was in what's used to be called neural networks. It's now called machine learning or yep. deep learning or AI. Yep. But the basic idea was that you can teach computers to extract patterns from lots and lots of examples without any explicit knowledge. You're not programming them and telling them what to do. They're just extracting patterns similar to how the brain learns just by being fed lots and lots of information. And so back in my day, the reason it didn't take off is I was working on the algorithm side, how to make the, the computers learn. What we didn't have was these giant training sets of data to train them on. Now with the explosion of the internet and all the data that we're barfing out every day, data is not a problem anymore. And that's why all of these artificial intelligence systems are taking off. The problem with them is like I said, we're being strip mined for like the most subtle patterns that human beings can't even detect, but these machines will pick up. Mm. And a lot of times they're taking advantage of us from this evolutionary standpoint. And a lot of times they're building in our cultural biases. So you might have a mortgage risk algorithm that says don't lend to black people right. because it was trained on lending patterns that historically said don't lend to black people so they sure. end up being high looking like higher risk groups for example i'm just using that as an example that's but exactly the kind of yeah if it's, it's a legitimate example that kind of stuff happens all the time so my problem with this technology is you can't open the lid of the black box and poke around and make any kind of sense out of it it's just an automatic response. So to me, one of the keys is to have overrides and fail safes and human beings looking at this and saying, is it ethical? Is it right? You know, um, I don't, if we start running these things open loop, we're really screwed without any feedback or human intervention. They're just going to reinforce our biases and our tribalism and let other people exploit us even more. And that's what we were saying about in in a previous part is that these the the problem is that we you know we used to talk about the Fox bubble and the MSNBC bubble. Um, now, due to algorithms in social media, there is the personal bubble, and the personal yeah. bubble is you clicked on this, and as a result, we're feeding you more of that. Um, yep, exactly. And there's nothing about that that feeds your curiosity because it your brain is always looking for evidence that you're right. Yeah, <laughs> and it's so got confirmation bias. Got, you've got a confirmation bias running, and and it's one of the reasons I want to do this show. I want to have people on who don't agree with the world or don't agree with me, and that's why I interview a neo-Nazi and I'll interview somebody who run a Trump campaign or you know, whatever it is, it's so that people can get outside of their own bubble um, and, and explore. 
Yeah, and you know, it's funny because for all of the injustices and that the industrial age brought, you know, for the printing press, radio, TV, you know, when I grew up before cable TV, I'm old, uh, there are four channels, ABC, CBS, M MB M NBC, and PBS. Yep. And they may be something in the 37 dial, you know, an ultra yeah. UHF, some local station, right? But basically everyone had the same experience. You could watch different shows, but when you showed up at the office on Monday morning, you'd all watch Saturday Night Live. Yes. And we were all talking about that as a common experience. So that water cooler talk, you know, we kind of make it, trivialize it by calling it that, but there was a common cultural context. And the problem now is that all these algorithms are feeding us our individual diet of information and none of it overlaps with anyone else's. We have this individual, very easy to bias and nudge us in the wrong direction too, incidentally. So we have our echo chambers of one. They're not even right. So again, cognitive yeah. isolation. And I yeah. think and, and when, when I talked about that, the dangers of isolation, but yes, when, and, and, my and concern so, is that also, we're entering uh, cognitive isolation. The, the real risk is political, I feel. Yeah, not just that the individual. So because without a common set of values, without an understanding of say what America is and that it's an exclusive nation of immigrants and um, you know that all people are valued and that it's a meritocracy and you can be as successful based on your hard work. Like those notions are gone, they're obliterated. That's why the center is not holding. That's why it's all fragmented. I think Western democracies, or, or let's, let's just talk to the US in particular, had a good 240 plus year run, but um, I don't really know how much longer it can keep going if we let Facebook have all the power. Uh, yeah. we're, we're, you know, that's the yeah, problem. It, it, it's very interesting that, you know, as a student of history, you know, if we look back over time, you know, uh, and the formings of, uh, of, of cultures and the forming of you know, you can say, okay, there were there were the tribal leaders, and then there were the who became quote the kings. Um, at, you know, and then you've got um, a more uh, democratized situation where you had political people and political power. Um, and it's you know, and we we had this idea, and I really I I, I love that some people are calling it the. Um, the experiment, the democracy experiment, because in many ways it is so young. Um, and the, interestingly enough, the most powerful people in the world these days are not uh, through a democratic process. Uh, the most powerful people in the world are Mark Zuckerberg, uh, they're Jeff Bezos, Gates. Bill Gates. Yeah. You know, there are these people who have a very powerful voice Gates has a powerful voice um, and uses that voice, whether you agree with him or not, is another question. Um, but then you've got people like um, Jeff Bezos, who doesn't say much. You've got uh, Zuckerberg, who doesn't say much unless he's forced in front of Congress. And then he looks like an android. Um, but these are people with that we passively give our power to. You know, it, it's a very interesting system that how we have become um, dumbed down, fed our own nonsense, 
by people who want to make money and sell things. It's, it is for me, um, that is the existential crisis. Yeah, they're, they're selling us to ourselves. They're, they're exactly. strip mining us for value. We are the, if you're not the customer, you're the product. And that's what well, we are both the product and, and the customer, right? I mean, this is the, the fascinating thing is that we're both now. And what I mean is like for Facebook, 95% of their revenue is advertising. The advertisers are the customers. We're the product that's being sold to those advertisers. Yeah. They have no, no illusions about that. It's fascinating. It really is. We're coming towards the end of the show. And before we finish up, I, I of course, want you to tell people where you, where they can find, find out more about you. So let's do that first. Tell people where they can find out more about you, your resources, how to get in touch with you, all the things you offer, the book, et cetera, books. Sure. Well, the, uh, my internet consulting, which I still do on an advisory basis since I've sold my agency site tuners off uh, to my business partners, um, my keynote speaking, all of that information is at timash.com, just like dovebaron.com. Right. Easy to find. T-I-M-A-S-H. Uh, the book website is primalbrain.com. And you can find out the table of contents, read the introduction, see uh, reviews, and of course, figure out where to buy it. Uh, it's available in ebook, uh, audiobook narrated by me, as well as two editions. Uh, you can buy autograph copies in the US right now or internationally. And then Booktopia run by my good friend, Tony Nash in Australia has also published an Australia, New Zealand edition and that's out and available immediately. So they've had to change the language, obviously. <laughs> now they basically, Take the American language. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd have to say, put a shrimp on the on the bobby. No, actually, a prawn. That's what they call it. They don't call them shrimp. Uh, so, <laughs> I do know. <laughs> I, having lived there for many years, I do know. Um, so, as as we finish up, um, what haven't we covered, that, or what haven't we talked about that you just wish we could have gotten at least a few minutes on? that is really, you know, something you really want to grab people by the short and curlies on and just have them get really understand this. What is the, is there something we haven't gotten yet? You know, um, I, I start the book with a, a, a bit of a disclaimer saying, you know, like my red thread through the book is evolutionary psychology, that that ties so much of what we talked about together memory, learning, culture, language, storytelling, gender differences, neurochemistry, sleep, all of it, right? But it's a way, it's a mechanical and reductionist argument. I mean, you can't just describe it at the level of a body system. Right. So I agree with you philosophically. We started this talking about this in part one of how everything is connected. Everything is subtly connected. Um, now, my, my brother, Artyom, is uh, quite the, the Buddhist scholar and is had meetings with the Dalai Lama, been to India. Um, and, you know, he says, I get this wrong, but there's this, um, this theory in Buddhism of dependent co-arising. And so you can think of the, the universe as like these lines of reflective jewels. And if everything, however distantly, reflects every facet of everything else, and you take just one thing out of that firmament, and it's no longer complete. So 
everything depends on everything else. And so I don't want this to book to limit what it means to be human. I want us to be a good basic primer, like being human 101, but we're so much more than our, the brain organ or our individual self. And, and to go back to what you were saying in part two, we have to you know, attach the larger tribes. We have to be universalists. That's the only hope we have. And, and I want to just leave people with that. Learn about yourself, but it's not about yourself. It's about the connection to everything else. I think that that's a really great place to finish because I think it, as we've talked about throughout this, it's easier and easier to start thinking about ourselves as separate and we have to think about ourselves as part of and yes there is parts of your brain that are designed uh, to have you be self-protective but there is a far bigger part of every part of your brain and your being that is about you being part of the collective and whether you we talk about that in a uh, physics, quantum physics, and even metaphysical understanding of being a universally connected being, or whether we talk about that at a uh, neurological and cellular level of us being connected and mirror neurons and reflections of all the things around us. And I think it's a really solid message, Tim, and I really want to thank you for taking the time uh, to be with us. I've loved our conversation. I'm excited to share it with others, excited for you to share it with others. And uh, and and I know that you probably don't get the opportunity to go in as many and as deep and as varied places as we got to go today. And um, I think there's much more for us to talk about. And maybe we can even have a part two at some point in time. But I really want to start by thanking you immensely. Thank you for your time, for, for investing in the time with us and uh, for taking time away from your own family to be with us. So thank you. Uh, don't, it's been my absolute pleasure. It's, it's been, I love the format. I love how your, your mind works. It's a beautiful thing. So thank you for the opportunity, my brother. Thank you, my sir. Honor. I hope you'll stay with us to the very end. I just want to say goodbye to everybody else. I want to remind you that you can watch the videos of these shows inside of our Patreon channel. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Dove Baron. You can also catch, of course, the audios uh, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we really appreciate when you rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And please share it with others. We need to be a lot more curious. So chomp down on another delicious episode of Curiosity Bites. To find out more about me, simply go to dovebaron.com. And if you want to send your friends there, you can send your friends there and they can actually uh, subscribe to the show right there as well and look for Tim and look for Unleash Your Primal Brain. You can simply find him at timash.com and you can look for Unleash Your Primal Brain online as well. All right. Till next time, this is Dove Baron saying, stay curious, my friend. Stay curious about your primal brain and how it really is about us all coming together to create a greater community collectively. Dove Baron, 